in the short time that we were able to be together before the COVID situation took place. You probably figured out that I'm somewhat of a people person and that I enjoy spending time with people. And I would have to say it was almost excruciating preaching into a camera for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I imagine it was excruciating watching someone preaching into a camera for weeks and weeks and weeks. But I must say, I am so appreciative of our pastors here and the amount of effort and work they put into to ensure that we could have those elements that are critical to our keeping in touch with one another and with God through this time. Uh, I have uh, several friends that are pastors, and many of them were just overwhelmed with the technology and the responsibility of learning how to record, edit, and upload uh, their, their sermons. And some of them put as much time into that as they did preparing the Word. And uh, I am thrilled that I just was able to come in and they said, go, and I preached, and they took care of all the rest of the work. So I wanted to get, just publicly show appreciation for our pastors and all the work that they did. We were not able to have a lot of preparation for the transition time for not having church, and I was impressed with how quickly they put things into place uh, so that we could have uh, worship service that not only included the preaching of the word, but music you're familiar with, seeing people you're familiar with, and uh, seeing the background and such of our uh, of our auditorium uh, is is helpful because worship is more than just uh, visual. Uh, there's so much to it, so it's exciting to be be here today. As we consider this series that we're looking at, for those of you that have joined us on Sunday nights back a few months ago may recall we started Nehemiah, and uh, I just want to assure you that where we're going with this is slightly different than where we started with it uh, in the evening service because of the scope of our, uh, really what we're trying to accomplish and the intensity in which our our world is going through transition. Uh, I've, uh, as the intentional transitional ministry director, I have been called upon in different ways to, to discuss this concept of transition uh, because all of our churches, no matter what their situation might be, are going through transition right now. And the book of Nehemiah touches on that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in just, uh, in just a moment. Before we do, uh, let's, let's turn our hearts to prayer. Father, again, I thank you for the privilege of joining our friends here. Uh, it is exciting to look out and see faces and uh, to interact with them uh, with your word. Father, I'm encouraged by the, the fact that uh, we have so many things that we can be thankful for. In a time when so much has been stressful and difficult and harsh and hard, uh, you are still our God. And uh, as we reflect on what, uh, what Job said, and we read this together, you can always bless your name. And may we do this today, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah, time of transition, and today a phased return. 
only going to cover Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 today, because there's so much information that is critical to us really being able to appreciate what Nehemiah is in the scriptures for. As, as I consider all the transitions that we've gone through, uh, how many of you, how many of you have Zoomed lately? Anybody Zoomed lately? Okay. I, I think about that Zooming. For someone in my age and condition, Zooming is not a verb that uh, really fits me. My grandchildren, maybe. I've got some grandboys that they don't walk anywhere. They Zoom everywhere. But now I Zoom, uh, and you probably Zoom as well. Part of transition. As we look at the people of Judah, they went through a significant transition. Look what this verse says here. It says, now the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. How did he end up in Susa? How is it that we're going to be talking about Someone having to go to Jerusalem that probably should have been in Jerusalem to start with. There are so many things that are part of this transition that takes place here in Nehemiah that it's important for us to see that actually Nehemiah is a part of a phased transition. It really is. Because if you consider that Ezra and Nehemiah were kind of put together a lot. They were found on the same scrolls and, and, and quite frankly make more sense if you read them together. Because in Ezra you will see the first and second phases of the return of the people of Judah to Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah 1 through 7 we'll see that third phase. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But before we dig into the book, we really need to consider some general facts about the book. First of all, we should always consider what God intended us to understand about Jesus and his gospel when we look into the Old Testament. This first point was somewhat inspired by uh, Dr. Tim Mackey. You might be familiar with the Bible Project videos. Uh, if you have a Bible app, you might see those from time to time. And they give a quick little summary with narrative of a, of a book of the Bible. Well, he was doing a, a series for a group of pastors on Ezra and Nehemiah. And he challenged us with the importance of recognizing that Nehemiah is not just about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, like every bit of the Bible, is about Jesus. And that's why we would look at the main figure for Nehemiah is not really Nehemiah. The main figure for Nehemiah, because it's part of the big narrative of the Bible, it's really about Jesus. Now, the applications and the things that we find in there are probably not going to mention Jesus, right? But the fact that it is a part of the scripture, it was designed to point us towards hope and point us towards what the real answer to life's issues are. Let's just take a little time to look at what, uh, what we have, have here. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the book says this here in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles and want to look to Luke chapter 24, here we have a situation where Jesus is now in his resurrected body and he comes across these two men uh, that are on their road to Emmaus. 
And I have uh, uh, shared about this book before in the past, uh, the value of having a good understanding of how God has used the whole of Scripture to lead us to an understanding of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus is basically built off of this passage we'll be looking at for, for just a moment. But in Luke chapter 24, Jesus comes across these guys who are downtrodden because the, the crucifixion has taken place and now the tomb is empty. They don't know what has happened to this the body of Jesus. And uh, uh, he comes across them and he get, they give this uh, answer. It says, but we had hoped, verse 21, we had hoped that he was one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Uh, and he, uh, this, is, this is as a result of him coming up to them and asking them why they're so sad. And they said, what, are you the only person here that doesn't know of the events that have transpired? Are you the one that does not, or do you live in a bubble or something? Uh, they had no social media back then, but... There was no doubt that what happened to Jesus at that time, the crucifixion, the trial, all those things were very evident to the people around them. And these guys could not imagine they would run into someone on the road that would not be aware of it. It had a great impact, not only in those that would have considered themselves followers of Jesus. They're saying it was a great social impact because of what had happened. My thoughts are is that it's not just because they had a crucifixion that day, because I'm assuming they had crucifixions on a regular basis. Uh, they had uh, two other people being crucified at that time. So this, this was a way that the Romans regularly showed to people that they were in control and they wanted to deter the problems that, uh, that crime and such would cause. But Jesus' impact had, uh, had just permeated the area, and they couldn't understand why he wouldn't know. And he says this to them after they, they expressed their frustration. He, he, he died. We had hoped he'd be more than what he was. They consider him just a prophet. And, and, he, and Jesus says to them in verse uh, uh, 22, he says, uh, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And uh, he goes on to unfold. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things that, and enter into his glory? And then it says this in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As they walked along, he took the only Bible they had, the Old Testament, and talked about how that they needed to see Jesus through that. And then he says this in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is making it very clear that the Old Testament shows us Jesus, that he is Described. Even as you look at what Paul says in the uh, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians where he's talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that those things were true because they were according to the scriptures. That is our gospel. And Paul goes on to say this to the uh, young man by the name of Timothy. 
as he's encouraging them during his perilous times, when people didn't want to follow Jesus or follow the word of God, he's saying this. Uh, he, we talked earlier when we did the Isaiah 40 passage about the value of 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, uh, how that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. But here in verse 15, he says this. He says, uh, and now from a childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about the fact that we can have a faith in Jesus Christ and he encourages us to see that as we study the Old Testament. So as we consider Nehemiah, there's going to be so many rich things that will help us understand what leadership is all about. Help us understand what team, uh, teamwork is all about. What different disciplines we ought to have. But if we miss the point of the gospel and the fact that Jesus Christ is the purpose for us to do all these things, we will not be wise. The Bible is designed to make us wise for salvation. And I think this is a fitting time to ask you, whether you're here or whether you're uh, online for us right now, have you made that wise decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ, to recognize that he is the one who met all of the needs of the law, dying on the cross, paying the penalty of sin, so that you can have everlasting life. That is the wise decision that Paul was encouraging Timothy to stand on and to, to work through uh, in this difficult, difficult time. So let us commit to seeing Jesus as we go through this study. It is also uh, important for us to realize that the events of Nehemiah uh, require an understanding really of history. Because you wonder, why is he in Susa? Uh, the w main way to do there is look at really the phases that are there. Uh, how did he get here? Here's a kind of a chart to help us understand how this works out. Uh, when Ezra is recording what took place, uh, you see in the first six chapters of Zerubbabel, is bringing them back in a phase to come to the city of Jerusalem. And one of the first things they want to do is create the temple. And they are not able to make the temple to the same grandeur as what the temple what, that was destroyed uh, by the Babylonians, but they wanted a temple nonetheless. Now, isn't that interesting? Because when you look at transitions, sometimes you can't get it back to the glory that it had before. And maybe even in our transition and our phasing back in, there's that anticipation of a certain glory or a certain uh, expectation that, that things got to be like they were before. And there were, at that time, those individuals that were not happy with the temple that was put up. And as a result, they had put their emphasis not on what really was important in Jerusalem, that relationship with God, and what it meant to be in Jerusalem and to, to seek his face, but instead in a, in a physical structure. Uh, chapter 7 through 10 talk about what Ezra did. He emphasized the, the law and he went through the, the, that importance of the law and reestablishing that for them. And then by the time we get to the third phase, that's Nehemiah where we'll be focusing our time, uh, they are now looking at the city 
And how do I get the city to where it is? Well, we get the walls to where they need to be. And as you look at each of these phases, the emphasis is on externals. And there will be a temptation as we work on our phasing back into ministry to get caught up in the externals. You know, the temple really was, uh, was David's idea, wasn't it? God said, what's wrong with the tabernacle, you know? Uh, and, you know, the walls, when you think about the walls, uh, did the people of Israel need the walls when God took them out of Egypt? He had the pillar of the fire and the cloud, and he took care of them for all those years without any walls. But they were symbolic to the people, but not critical to a relationship with God. God is not kept in a temple, and God is not uh, kept out by walls. That God is one that wants to have a personal relationship with us. And even the law, we realize that the law is designed to be a schoolmaster to bring us to a realization we can't keep it. And that we need Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the one who has fulfilled all the law. So this phased return is, is kind of described in Ezra and also in Nehemiah. And then how did they get there? Uh, they got displaced in the, the first place. Uh, let's look at Ezra chapter 1 verse 1. In Ezra 1 1 we want to uh, see what he says about the transition. Because this is the first part of it. He says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Now we have Ezra talking about Cyrus, and, but he's also talking about Jeremiah. So we're going to have to go look at Jeremiah for a moment. But what the words of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. If you're familiar at all with the, uh, the process, the people of Israel started out in Jerusalem. And as a result of their disobedience, uh, they ended up being taken out by a man by the name Nebuchadnezzar. And we'll look at that just uh, uh, right here as we go to Jeremiah. He says, then after 70 years, this is what Jeremiah is saying, uh, after these 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. This is where, this is where Ezra is picking up, talking about this Cyrus, and Cyrus is the one who punishes uh, this, uh, the, the Babylonian country. Uh, look at this in uh, verses 8 and 9. Why did they get to that point? He says, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for, send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, uh, he's one of the key uh, players there, the king of Babylon, and God calls him his servant, his servant, uh, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants. That's how we end up with someone like Nehemiah in Susa, uh, why Esther would be in Susa, why Daniel's in, in Babylon. All these things happened because God had predicted the Babylonians would come in, and they did. Even when we studied the book of Isaiah and looking at chapter 40, that's what he was talking about, them coming into captivity and them being uh, uh, brought under that submission of another nation. And then Jeremiah goes on to say this in chapter 29, verses 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 
I think it's interesting. I've always looked at it, the 70 years were for Israel, but, and they were. But he, God, in this context, says, this is my 70 years for Babylon. And after 70 years, Babylon was taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And that's why we have this new transition that takes place, opening the door for the people of Israel to come back out of Babylon and to go back to to Jerusalem. But look what he says here as to the point of it all. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, it's all about a future and a hope. It's not about comfort. It's not about having things the way it used to be. It's not about uh, uh, just having our own stuff. It's about having a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah is predicting from the very beginning that after that 70 years is up, the most important thing on the mind of all the people of Judah would have been to seek God, not build a temple, not uh, uh, initiate things in regard to a city and a wall, although those things are fine, and I'm not saying that they weren't a good idea, but the most important critical thing is that relationship with God. And lest we forget that, that whatever we're rebuilding, whatever we're doing, and wherever we're going, we need to remember that we are going towards a relationship with God and helping others be able to do that. It's kind of along like what we've been saying all along, be, make a disciple, be a disciple, make a disciple, that we want to continue to encourage this type of, of work as, as we go along. Uh, the theme of Nehemiah is transition. As we consider that there's so many things that we could say are the theme of Jeremiah, of, of, excuse me, of Nehemiah, it could be of go build, uh, it could be teamwork, it could be God's provisions, all those things are true. But when you think of the transitional aspects that they were, they were transitioning, then you ask the question, where did they go to? We know where they came from. They went from being in Jerusalem to going to Babylon, and now they're coming back. They all didn't come back at the same time. Some came up, up under Zerubbabel, some came under Ezra, and uh, they, they, that took time as they phased back in. But where did they actually go? Because if the end-all and the be-all was to make sure that they had those things into place and they were fully transitioned uh, with the wall around the Jerusalem, you would think that would have a long-lasting impact. But look what happens for them. Uh, you look at the next 400 years, they're still under subjection. Uh, they're under subjection to the Medo-Persia. Uh, then their Medo-Persia is taken over by Greece. And so then they're under subjection under the Greeks. And then as we pick up in the New Testament, they are under the subjection of Rome. And here we have a situation where as they come into that time, they have not for 400 years had a prophet to talk to them. There were those years of silence, and Jesus comes onto the land. And at a time when they should have been back years ago seeking the face of God, desiring God, and when God is right there with them, they reject him. 
It was Nehemiah, as much as I love the book and as much as I appreciate all the things about the character of the man Nehemiah and what he was able to accomplish, Nehemiah does not really fulfill God's full plan. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus does. And we must keep that in mind as well is that we can do the things that can help us give a semblance of something that's normal for us or something that we feel should be. But the key thing is, are we seeing people come to know Jesus and are we becoming more like him? So the reminder is, it's not about the temple. The temple uh, was, uh, uh, it, it was rebuilt again to all his glory by some Gentile. Uh, so that uh, they could have that, that glory. Uh, not about the law. The law only helps us recognize how far we are and how far we fall short of the glory of God. And it's not about the city or the walls. Uh, they had all that. And still, when Jesus came, they rejected him. The third thing is to just look at what is the application of that. There are so many, and I want to have us see what types of things we will be looking at in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, first of all, we want to look at the importance of having a unified vision and passion. Folks, if we, we, we try slogans in our society. We're in this together. And as much as we say it, doesn't make it happen. Our country is divided. Our country is going through a mess right now. And even in the, uh, from one crisis to another crisis, we do not have unified vision as a country. Even if we're in this together, we are not everybody's rowing in the same direction. Uh, but there's one place, there's one place where that can be different where we have as our goal to follow Jesus Christ and to accomplish what is important to him and to ensure that as we have a vision and as we have passion, we can move together in that direction to help people come to know Jesus, to know the fact that Christ died on the cross for their sins. They were he was buried and he rose again so that they could have eternal life. You know, it's exciting. We're going to partake of the communion. It'll be a little different, as uh, uh, Pastor uh, indicated, but it's going to be a symbol that we've missed. Can, can I encourage you of a symbol that, that I've missed, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but to see people baptized and to have that to be the picture of someone believing in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's a sign that people are getting it, and they are coming to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And may we pray for that, that we might not only celebrate our communion today, but also sometime in the near future be able to celebrate someone identifying themselves with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And second of all, the theme of dependence upon God. Nehemiah, as we'll look at next week, uh, was one who showed an awesome dependence upon God. He worked hard, as we'll see in other portions of Nehemiah, but he totally depended upon God. His prayer life is, is amazing, and his sensitivity to God is amazing. May that be indicative of us as, as we consider moving forward.
as we consider the phases that God has us in, that we take care of all the things that we can do, but that we most of all depend upon God. Whether we're looking at what we implement as far as ministries or what we look at in a pastor to come in, that we are doing so with a great dependence upon God. Third thing is the importance of teamwork. It's interesting how that God describes us. He calls us a church as a called out assembly. We're together. He calls us a body to work together. There's nothing more frustrating than have parts of your body that are not working together uh, with the other parts of our body. And as a result, it's frustrating. He calls us a building. Uh, and he actually calls us members. And he says in Ephesians chapter 4 that, we, that the, uh, God gives a gift to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up and edify the body of Christ. Our goal is not to build some walls. Our desire is to build up people. Build up people in a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they might know Jesus and they might become like Jesus. And as we consider our dependence upon God and our working together, we need to have a unity of vision and passion for that and not get distracted by what our preferences are or what we desire. Let us focus on what God desires. Father, I pray that as we take this time to turn our hearts towards a remembrance of the great sacrifice that you have made for us, Father, as we, we talk about the fact that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, paid for it all. That all the things that we see in the Old Testament that remind us of the fact that, that we need you. May we focus on that in these next few moments. As we sing these, this song, as we partake of the communion, that we will do so. Even though it's different than how we've done it in the past, that we might do so and be focused not on the process, but on the person, the one who gave his life for us, the one who loves us so much. Father, I ask that you would make this a special time for us, because not because we can do it, but because of who you are, and we do it because of who you are. Father, I thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.